Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, the podcast about board gamers and the insane fun we have at the table together. This is Chris. And this is Anthony. And this is episode 304. If you like Among Us, try these other games, even though they might be a little sus. We'd like to thank all of our Patreon backers for helping us bring you a brand new episode live on Board Game Arena Twitch stream. Anthony, we are back. And despite the suspiciousness of our gathering, we are here to do a fantastic episode, hopefully be able to right the ship, continue on, and make all of our listeners and viewers very happy. That's what we're here for. That's what we do. <laughs> Making you all happy. If you just lost it among us and got stabbed in the back, listen to this episode. Learn about some more games you get stabbed in the back. Absolutely. We have a great episode. Our feature review is about Among Us, the worldwide sensation video game that everyone's playing the social deduction space alien murderous imposter game and yet it turns out in fact there are a lot of great games that are in board game form that are just like among us or in fact i would argue anthony and this just might be me this might be a modest board game reviewer you know me uh better than the video game I'm just a simple board game reviewer. <laughs> oh man, yeah, I don't know. It's hard to say. I like I I've played Among Us. It's a lot of fun. Um, I've played yeah. a lot of these games. Some of them are a lot of fun. Uh, <laughs> mixed opinions on some, but yeah, I mean it's it's all about lying to your friends. You have to be up for that. And I think we'll get into what that means and and why you would lie to your friends. It's important to mention that up top because some people just don't want to do that. And so all these games are going to sound horrible to you. This but, guy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll never lie to you. <laughs> yeah, no, he never lies. It's fine. No. Uh, Chris, is, you're surprisingly good at these games, actually. You're <laughs> very good at lying to people. See, and that's why I don't like playing them, because it's like I spent decades cultivating this psychological powers from all of my graduate studies and all of my practical work out there in the field, and it's all based in ethics and vocation and now you want me to go super, you know, evil? I can't do that heel turn. No, don't ask me to do that. I can't do it. Sorry. No, I just can't do it. Got the powers, man. But I know, I know. But these games are not just stab you in the back social deduction games. We actually have games that are actual games. And there's actual game to it. So even if you don't like lying to your friends and all that backstabbing, we have games that actually have game to it. So when you play them, there's something actually to play. Unlike some other werewolf-inspired games that we shall not mention. There might be some werewolfish stuff on this list. It's we'll, possible. We'll, we'll get there. So, Anthony, how many times at a werewolf game did, did everyone in the group go, I think Anthony's the werewolf. He's got a beard. <laughs> Every single time. Every single time. time. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's the level of discord that comes with games like that but actually yep. in fact we do have games that do have a lot of really cool credentials to them have a lot of great gameplay and that will be our feature review it's actually one of our favorite features we brought it back because so many people do love it but before we get into that there is so much other great stuff going on anthony i know you want to announce a little show that we happen to do hopefully when you're listening to this on wednesday night yes sir Episode 15 of BGA Live is this Wednesday at 8.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. 
Yes. And we're going to play a game that a lot of people requested. A lot, a lot of people. And I, I kept saying, I don't know, until I figured out how to fit it all on <laughs> the screen. Uh, and that's Terra Mystica. And no promises that I've quite figured out how to fit it all onto the screen, but I'm pretty close. Uh, <laughs> we managed to get in a couple big ones lately that barely fit the screen. So I think we can do it. And uh, this is an all-time classic, an all-time favorite of ours. And I'm excited to play. I'm excited to watch um, our, our gamers this week play through Terra Mystica. And we'll talk a little bit about it. Absolutely. So if you are listening to this on Wednesday, jump over to Twitch because Board Game Arena has its very own BJ Live, and you'll be able to chat with everyone there. And don't forget, subscribe, because we have so much new content coming out each and every week, and we want to make sure you don't miss it. And we would love to have you in the chat, chatting along with us. So don't stay at the embedded feed on Board Game Arena. Jump on to Twitch. All right, Anthony. So that's what's going on. I'm really excited about that game. That's a huge game, and I love the fact that you challenge yourself each and every week to fit everything onto the tiny screen uh, i don't know how you do it man you're like a, you're like you're like dangling on a high wire trying to get everything done so uh if for no other reason join us as we try to see if anthony can actually pull it off this week oh yeah i'm gonna do it you guys will see <laughs> i can t- i can tell when it doesn't all fit because we'll be watching the thing or watching whatever game we're watching and there'll be like 12 people observing the board on board game <laughs> arena because they're like I can't. I can't even with Anthony's management of this. I gotta. I'll listen. You guys are great. Uh, I'm gonna scroll myself. And I hear you. I understand. <laughs> well, it's thanks to our Patreon backers that we're able to bring this to you. It's thanks to them that we're able to show you the best games that are happening in the board game industry and especially on Board Game Arena. So join us again. The loveliness of Terra Mystica and the tragedy of all of us trying to squeeze that in to a particular episode. So. Anthony, that will be happening. And in fact, you have a double duty because not only are you trying to squeeze Board Game Arena into a little box of, you know, trying to get it onto the Twitch screen with the giant Terra Mystica, but the following week, you have to squeeze in an even larger episode. Why don't you talk about that? Yeah, yeah. So we don't have the collateral up for this yet because it's a big episode. We're not even there yet. We don't even know what all of our nominees are. We do do what our nominees are, but... We have our PGA Awards 2020. These are the best games 2020, according to us. And we're going to run through all, I think we have eight categories this year. Yes. We talked about our best family games and solo games and two-player games and strategy games, all that stuff. We're going to go through all of it, uh, run down some of the best games of the year, and then pick our number ones in each of those categories. Uh, And you will hear it here first, because we're going to broadcast it live, 8.30 p.m. Eastern on Monday. December 21st. So if you want to hear the winners as they are announced, probably I'm the only one who will know in the world at that point, unless Chris looks at the spreadsheet early. (laughs) Probably not. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Then this is the place to do it. So definitely make sure to do that. If you don't have an opportunity to do that, of course, the episode will be up on Patreon the next day. And then on Wednesday morning on the 23rd, you can download that to all your favorite podcast players. Absolutely. So uh, that'll be a great episode. Uh, since it's an award season episode, do we have to wear a tux? Are we doing something? Are we decided? Are we getting fancy? I mean, we're already wearing the black shirt. <laughs> just, already halfway there. Just get a, a tie, wrap it around your neck. You'll be good to go. <laughs> <laughs> Don't think I won't do it, because I'll do it. <laughs> get a clip-on, like a white clip-on. Just go in the polo. Or maybe some other people out there might want to check out some merch. 
Ooh. You know, your board game award season, you know, head over to uh, T Public, check out the Board Gamers Anonymous page, pick up some fancy garb, maybe a lovely mug. Huh? Ooh, ooh. We're in full QVC mode now. <laughs> <laughs> well, I got to drink out of something, so it might as well be meeple based. That's how I live my life. You I'll know, one meeple at a time. So, again, we have some great stuff coming up. The holiday season is already upon us and again a lot of great things to pick up all right anthony so that's what's going on with us again later today bj live terra mystica and next week on monday we'll be live on twitch board game arena's website here for our bga awards 2020 what a year it's been we <laughs> did it Somehow. yeah yeah <laughs> Just dial back the enthusiasm, man. People are going to think it's inappropriate. What are you doing? It's a bad year. But there's great board games out there. And we there are. Really are. Yeah, it's, it's been a decent year for games. If You know, know. the handful of them that we've played. So. It's true. It's true. Considering the fact that some past years were like, we played a lot of games. They were all really bad or mediocre. This year, we're like, played some games that were actually really good, surprisingly yeah. enough. So I'd say I played uh, half of the ones I got in. And I don't know, yeah. like... A good chunk of them made it onto my top 100 already. So, yeah, it's a good, go. good year so far. All right, Anthony. So, we could talk forever, and we will, because we got some more episodes coming out this week. But we have the most important part of our podcast, Anthony. We have our question of the week. Uh, question this week, courtesy of Jeremiah, listener and uh, follower Ooh. of Facebook.com slash Anonymous. So, I put out a call for questions that people wanted to see. He shared this. So, thank you very much for helping us out with our questions of the week. Uh, are there any games with mechanics you like but are hesitant to purchase because of the theme? So we talk about this a lot. Games that maybe we like we like in theory, but we're just like, uh, it's just the theme makes you feel a little icky or it's just not interesting or whatever it might be. There's a lot of different reasons theme might fall flat for you. Um, so I reached out and asked everybody what they thought. Some of these answers are just like, re-theme it as because I want a game with this theme, which is perfectly fine. Um, That's true. <laughs> And other people had pointed out specific games they don't feel comfortable playing. And those are, we'll talk about through all those. So uh, first up, um, just want to throw some honorable mentions out there because uh, at Red Meeple Ryan on Twitter, uh, slash BGA podcast, he gave us a bunch of answers. So I just wanted to give him a special shout out. He mentioned Stone Age rethemed as RoboCop. Cool. <laughs> um, awesome. Raiders of the North Sea doesn't like Vikings, but retheme it with Klingons. All oh, yeah. In. I'm, I'm down for that. Yeah. A Pokemon Splendor would get his attention. Oh, okay. Sure. There's yeah. a Marvel one, so why not? Yeah. I mean, if they're going that route, why not? Um, yeah. He specifically mentions that anything that gamifies a real-world job or job activity, even if highly mm -hmm. abstracted, no good. All fictitious jobs all the time. So all the farming sure. games go away. <laughs> <laughs> I hear you. And then he does not enjoy trains or route building games. He wants trade routes with starships. Put okay. it all in space. So, I like it. Thanks, uh, Red Meeple Ryan over on Twitter. We appreciate your feedback. I know he pretty frequently responds or retweets our, our question of the week. So we really appreciate that. Diving into the Facebook page. We have a, a bunch of answers over there. Ah. Mean, yeah. <laughs> I know not, that guy. <laughs> exactly. Do you? Oh, I was wondering. Like, name on the tip of my tongue. I didn't put a specific game up there because several people just said Cthulhu. 
which fair, right? <laughs> um, Drew says, Cthulhu, not completely opposed myself, but has been horrifically challenging to get others involved. That's big, I think, because there are some, like Arkham Horror, the card game, I've had trouble getting other people interested in playing that or playing it at all because it has the Arkham Horror tag on it. I'm like, no, but it's the best card game. And they don't care because it's called Arkham Horror. Same thing with Mansions of Madness. Like, there are a lot of really good Cthulhu games. It's got that Cthulhu theme, and some people just don't want to do it. I hear you. Yeah, no, I, I think that was true for me early on, too. I was not a fan of Cthulhu. Like, I wasn't against it, but I was like, really? Why? Why? I don't want any more of this. But, right. yeah, I, I think that certain games and certain you know genres have overblown their saturation points. So, you know, it's kind of sad. But, you know. Yeah, I mean, you can do some creative stuff with it, too, but it's still just, like, it's the same thing over and over again. And I know you're doing it because the IP is free and you're yeah. driving it into the ground. It's All true. Right. Next one up here, we had a couple people mention uh, Secret Hitler. So Chris says, has a potentially troubling theme, but he does recognize that there are several re-themes already out there. So if you go on Board Game Geek, there's, like, Secret Emperor, like, if you play Star Wars, or on it anything right secret con for star trek there's all these different re-themes of secret hitler where you take someone fictitious equally horrible but maybe who didn't actually do actual things to real human beings recently <laughs> historically speaking i'm i'm all on board with this one we are talking about games kind of like this this week and this one is not on our list because i've never played it and i don't want to and i'm sure you sure. all have not played this right yeah i haven't played this and actually even in the chat this is the game that's popping up which is mm -hmm. Secret Hitler. Like, nobody wants to be playing that. So it's like, oh, Secret Hitler came out. I'm going to just take a long drink here for a second. <laughs> you guys are playing that. I'm going to Yeah, I'm going to either do a spit take or just walk away because I don't, not really cool with that. But it's always funny when they play Secret Hitler at my game group and it's like out in public and they're talking about it out in public. And I'm like, oh, no, I don't, I don't want to be any part of this group. Ooh. I don't want to be anywhere here. Yeah, I, I think that there's a lot of problems with it's, with some of these games out there, and it's a shame because they're good games. And I get the provocative nature of calling something a certain thing or theming a game in a certain way. And I'm always for the idea of if it plays out thematically, then I'll go along with the game mostly. Yeah. But nonetheless, when it's like pasted on, when it's you know barely attached, I don't know why you're doing that then. You know, it just doesn't make any sense to me personally here. But the chat's all right, and I agree with them too. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So that's Secret Hitler. Uh, next one somebody mentioned was one that I also had a problem with recently is Abomination, Era of Frankenstein. Sure. Uh, Tom mentions this. Sounds like cool mechanics, but the theme is off-putting. Um, he also says no thank you to zombie games, no matter how good they are. I agree. This game in particular, I, I picked it up actually at Gen Con. It's like, ooh, a Frankenstein game. And it's like a big worker placement thing. And it's, you know, mechanically in depth. And I played through it once actually. And the mechanics are decent, but thematically you're like legit going out and harvesting human body parts and rebuilding this thing. And I, I don't know, it just feels icky. I don't like have a problem if someone else likes it because it is a horror theme. But I personally was like grossed out a little. I'm like, I don't want to play this anymore. So I could see people having trouble with that. No, I'd agree with that too. I, I, I... That's a game that I really like the looks of it, but I obviously would never pick that one up just because of that as well. Yeah. All right. Um, next one up, uh, somebody mentioned a World War II games in general. John did this. Ooh. Uh, I said, said most games with the World War II theme at, 
as a theme or setting fall into this category for me. Um, a couple other people sure. mentioned war games in general, just anything yes. with like real world wars that you're playing through. I think if it's done properly, there's nothing necessarily problematic about it, but I can understand mm-hmm. not wanting to re-experience that or experience that or play through it or having to be the Germans, for example, like that there obviously is a huge subset of this industry that is just these games. So, sure. you know, I can understand why some people would not be a fan of that. But then again, you've got things like, you know, Borg took Commanding Colors and turned it into Battlelore. And I'm like, I'm all for that. It's fantasy. So <laughs> just retheme it. I'm good. Yeah, for me, this is a hard one because these games are so mechanically brilliant and so thematic. It's hard not to want to play them. But at the same point, there is definitely something that about the theme that it, it you know, just draws you down. I mean, this is a real world situation. So it's interesting to play that theme. And then it's like, oh, no, a lot of people really died and people that are still around know people. And there's this is there's not enough time, right? Like comedy is tragedy plus time. There hasn't been enough time in this situation. And and I, like you, Anthony, I do like the abstraction of the sci-fi fantasy situation because I want to be detached from the horror of war and of attacking people. I just generally don't like that. So even video games like Call of Duty, I'm like, no, not interested. Like I'd rather play Doom or some other random kind of like stupid game or or like Team Fortress 2. I love Team Fortress 2. It's like super cartoony. And I'm like, I'm all for like a solid mature theme and I respect that, but I just, I don't know. It's like the same thing where I, I love Memoir 44. It is utterly brilliant. But if you ask me, Memoir 44 is on the table, and so is like any other kind of more thematically like mystical or scientific or anything else like that. Uh, I'm going to play that, you know, even if it's a little chibis, you know? <laughs> yeah, Rivet Wars. Rivet Wars, my friend. Yeah, it's yep. all about River Wars. <laughs> All right. And so kind of related to that, and I'll end on this note, because I think these are good examples. Um, Michael, friend of the show, mentions Santa Maria, Maracaibo, and Crusaders by Will Be Done um, as three games specifically with problematic themes, which I would agree with on all three counts. Santa Maria. Oh, yeah. It's colonization of the New World, and you've got these little pink faces are your victory points. It's no good. Um, Maracaibo, obviously a similar theme and Alexander Fisker keeps making this mistake over and over again. Stop it. it Stop doing it. And then Crusaders, they will be done. Like it's glorifying the Crusades, which were legitimately sure. a holy war on an entire people. Um, I, yeah, I'm, I'm on board with all that. I think I do own a couple of these, so I, I can't say that I'm like, ah, I don't want to play these or whatever. You know, and Mombasa is another one we've talked about in the past. I know it's been on and off your top 100 list for this reason. Exactly. It's yeah. it's tough because I think part of it is you just don't want people to disrespect the theme or use it as a tool, right? You wanted them to recognize what was happening and why it was happening and talk about it through the gameplay. And some of these games just don't do that. Yeah, I mean, I can go through a list. I mean, Endeavor's on that list. Age of Empires is on that list. I mean, there's so many games where it's like, hey, we're just taking resources from Africa. It's cool. It's Mm. it's not cool. It's not cool. So, I mean, there's a lot of games like that. And I wish they would all be rethemed because they're really, you know, mechanically great games. 
And if you're going to put a theme on it, why are you doing that? Like, again, what's the point? Like Maracaibo just recently came out mm-hmm. and like, I don't understand that. Like something like Puerto Rico was at what, 20 years ago. You know, I, I kind of get that, but like Maracaibo is like two, two years ago. So what are you doing? I don't, I just generally don't get it. So uh, yeah, I, I think a lot of those games, again, very good games. Uh, I, I'm sure that the designers didn't do it any kind of particular malice, but again, it's just cultural insensitivity. And again, it keeps gamers away. And again, I, I don't know why I'm doing that. And it, it breaks my heart. Like I have a lot of these good games that I just can't bring to the table because I can't bring myself to play them. I just, I don't <laughs> stop yeah. it. Just make, make good themes. If you can make everything Cthulhu, you can make anything, anything, right? <laughs> just make it space. Just make it space. That's all you need to do. Just make them all space based. Yeah. Instant allegory. You're in space now. Yes. Have you seen Star Trek? Literally Star Trek is just like real world problems, but with alien makeup on. That was all it is. (laughs) Yeah, for sure, man. Yeah. I think the biggest one, the most egregious one for me recently was Endeavor because they went and they did a Kickstarter. They brought the game back. They upgraded all these components and they left in the stupid slavery mechanic, which slavery and games in general don't do that but in this particular case it's really bad i found myself at a table in public with four other people arguing over whether we should get rid of slavery because some people (laughs) didn't want to because it would be bad for them in the game and i felt so uncomfortable not just with other people listening in but just as a human being i'm like i don't i just i clammed up i was like i don't care guys do whatever you're gonna do like and i haven't played the game since because that was so off-putting to me it could have just been piracy, replace slavery with piracy or something, but nope, got to keep the original rules. And I don't know I'm on my soapbox here, but that game really made me mad because it's a good game mechanically and I will never play it again. Yeah. And, and again, the chat pointed this out, obviously we've got a good chat night there. So if you're not on here, jump into the chat, Puerto Rico, five tribes, which we have a history of five tribes, which I won't get into it because that would be a several hour kind of podcast, but right. <laughs> rallied against you know five tribes i remember sitting down playing it and picking up the slave card as as a resource a wild resource and being like this looks like people at my table and it's 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 a resource i can trade and it's it's a guy in chains with the game with magic genies in it so i don't understand what the gins have no 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 don't do that um so yeah there are a lot of games like this and in particular for me a game that that's not too egregious in any particular way. Obviously it's more so because of what's going on is all of the pandemic or disease based games. There's been some that are all about like the bodies being attacked by a disease and you're playing mm. the disease and trying to knock out the body. Again, that's just, it's a little bit too real of a theme right. and I don't want to play a disease wiping out humanity or I don't want to play a disease wiping out a body or something like that. So Again, I, I think Pandemic's a great game. And again, there are other ones where it's more virus-based. It's not really Pandemic's issues so much. But yeah, I, again, I would like those things to be rethemed on on some level. But, you know, there are good themes. And the chat's pointing out here too. Obviously, uh, Freedom, right? We're a big uh, fan of the game Freedom. And obviously, a lot of those games from Academy Games that talk about history. Yeah, absolutely. That's a great point. Yeah, freedom is perfect if you want that kind of like group cooperative experience. It's not a questionable theme. It's great. And what's interesting about this, and I, and I don't know if you agree with me, Anthony, I think we talked about this such a long time ago when we first reviewed Freedom, the Underground Railroad, was when I played it, 
I actually felt emotionally affected by stupid little cubes on a board that I didn't want to play anytime soon. It was just like, oh, I really, how does this, how does a bunch of cardboard and little wooden cubes actually affect me to the point where I'm like, I don't know if I could ever play this again. Right. And it did it. Yeah. No, it was a fantastic experience. I eventually picked up a copy just because I'm like, I have to have this because eventually it's going to have come up and I'm going to play with my kids or whatever. But yeah, I felt the same. Like we played that the one time. I'm like, ooh, man. <laughs> and that's the thing. You can do a game that has slavery in it. You could do a game that has yeah. exploitation on it. But then you have to own the theme. You can't just go, hey, we're doing a thing and, and then write in the rule book in one or two lines. Hey, that was a bad thing that they did. Like, no make it a consequence like endeavor got a little close and then just blew it off like make it actually a consequence you lose victory points when you do it like or the the ai in the game comes after you or something like there's got to be a negative consequence because there was literally a negative consequence to all that kind of stuff so yeah there's a lot of that kind of stuff yep and the chat pointed out viral yeah i think that viral was the game i was talking about where i was just like yeah i can't not so much so, I reviewed it back in the day, and it yeah, it made me feel uncomfortable. I was like, "It's a play, I guess. If this doesn't bother you, it really bothers yeah. me." And we also like to point out here that again, since we're doing this on Twitch, obviously everyone has an opportunity to subscribe, and they can subscribe with Prime. So if you have a Prime Amazon account, you get a free subscription here. And Galley seventy nine fr did so. Thank you so much for dropping a subscribe on us. So this way, you could follow us and let us know what you're thinking. Thank you, Gally. All right, Anthony. So that's everything that's going on, our listeners. Now let's get on to the stuff that we want to hit the table. Let's talk about our acquisition disorders. All right. I'm going to kick things off here. Uh, I feel like I could do one of these a month because it's uh, from Button Shy Games, and they release a game oh, yeah. every month because they're insane. Uh, <laughs> so this is the new Button Shy game uh, for December. It's currently on Kickstarter, and it is called Ugly Griffin Inn. Uh, it is designed by Scott Alms, who apparently designs a game every three weeks. This guy doesn't sleep. Um, <laughs> and it is a solo-only game. So this is a thing that Buttonshy has been doing more and more of. I think Sprawlopolis has been their biggest hit overall, and that is a solo game. And so once that came out, and they're like, oh. And it wasn't their first solo-only game. I think Pentaquark was before that. And there might have been another one, Twin Stars or something. Sprawlopolis kicked off. I feel like I've seen a bunch more. So... And, and they get big names to come in and do games. Like Elizabeth Hargrave did a game for them um, not too long ago that I picked up. And so these games, they're quick. They tend to be, I think it's 18 cards in a little wallet sleeve. So nice. you can just shove it in your pocket. And I've literally done that. I've shoved them in my pockets and taken them, like, not now, obviously, but in the past to coffee shops or on a train with me or whatever. Um you can still play it at home. You don't need to travel for these to be viable. But uh, the cool thing is that they take no time to set up because it's just 18 cards. You do whatever you need to do with the Tableau, and then you're done. And this one in particular, um, it's in the Simply Solo line, like I mentioned. And you are playing as you know these various little um, fantasy characters with this kind of cool, quirky artwork. Scott Alms had one of these puzzly-type games, Food Chain Island, which I really liked. It was his first in the Simply Solo line. And so this is kind of building on that and adding more to the mechanics. So you go through the game, you have uh, these different patrons come in, they go to sleep because it's an inn. And then <laughs> um, you're going to check uh, 
rooms for various issues that people might have. So like some of these characters, they might, if there's a noise above them, they might be annoyed or something They might wake up or do something. And so the different cards are going to impact each other. So it's like how you lay them out and how they're, you know, on the table together. You're going to have new patrons arrive. They're going to start at the bar, obviously, um, checking for quirks and, and bonuses that they might have. And so it's just similar to a lot of these games. Like you lay these cards out and every card affects every other card. It's a puzzle. They're all puzzles. I love it. So if you like quick, simple, puzzly games, and this isn't a review because I've not played this yet, but I'm sure I will like it. I do highly recommend checking out Button Shy Games. And this one, Ugly Griffin Inn, is up until Saturday uh, at 10.30 a.m. So if you're listening, well, if you're watching now, you can go back it. If you're not, if you're listening to this after the fact, um, you have until Saturday. So you got a couple days. So check that out. It's on Kickstarter now. I've never pulled the trigger on these and i don't really know why maybe because initially i missed out in the first like sprawlopolis mm. and then just was like i don't know you know like and there's so many of them i'm just like i don't know and they're like hey it's a kickstarter and anytime it's a kickstarter it's like you you, you want to buy a game and it and you it forces you to buy 35 games <laughs> i'm just like do i really want 35 games of this i'm not really sure and and like it's a small little game. How did this end up costing $250? I don't know. Why? I don't know what to do. I need an adult. <laughs> can, can somebody get me an adult? I don't know what to do here. I'm out. I'm out. And that's usually my Kickstarter experience with Buttonfly Games. So, Yeah. I mean, if you just buy the one and don't look at the rest of the page, as I often do, it's 10 bucks. So, <laughs> <laughs> And how much is it shipping, by the way? Is it 10 bucks shipping on top of the 10 bucks? I feel like it's three or four. It comes in a little envelope. They pad it, but it comes in a little envelope. It's, it doesn't okay. cost much. It, it is legit like the size of a, like a card fold that you slap on the back of your phone with 20 cards in it and a little rule book. So it doesn't weigh anything. Um, yeah, if you scroll too far down the page, though, you'll see like, hey, we have these other 20 games we've released. Do you want these? Oh, we got this bag now. You can shovel your stuff in. <laughs> it's so. really... I don't know what to do with that site anymore. <laughs> I don't want to go back there. Don't send me back there, man. <laughs> uh, well, let's talk about the complete opposite of Anthony's acquisition disorder. That's going to cost you like $45,000 and, and Ten. such. It's $10. Yeah. 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 $10. So, you know, come on, come on. No, no, no one drops $10. It's like going to a casino and going, I'm going to play one slot machine for $10. That's not going to happen. Come on, man. All right. So I got a a little tiny, again, actually even cheaper than Anthony's Buttonfly game Ooh. or around that same, you know, cost point. This is The Last Brave. Now, this is a small box game from one of our initial favorite designers, Seijay Kanai. You know Seijay Kanai from Love Letter. You know him from so many of his little tiny games, I guess, obviously from his 4,000 versions of Love Letter, but he actually did other games like Cheaty Mages and a bunch of different trick-taking games of various sizes and success. You'll notice this has very much the same kind of artwork here that you know from very many of his games. And this is just a small game that's all about battling other players. So very much King of the Hill kind of situation. So there's going to be all these types of cards and basically you are going to gain this brave champion that is going to go out and try to be the strongest amongst all of the kingdoms. So you send out your brave champion, you're given out class cards that are going to give you special abilities. You're given out element cards that are going to give your champion some, again, 
some special magical abilities on top of everything else. And because somehow you're dual wielding, you're also going to get arms cards. So you're going to get weapons that you're going to be able to put into play. And then pretty much that's going to be the majority of the game, other than the fact that there are secret tactics, there are trick cards, there are all these kind of like ways to subvert attacks and to like attack other players, continuous abilities, special abilities throughout the game. And again, very quick, very simple, all about throwing down a couple of different attacks, taking out your enemies. Again, think love letter where it's super simple but this one is all attack 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 kind of situation instead of send love letters so pretty much that's pretty much it it's the last brave sage kanai it's up on pre-order now i actually did back it on pre-order not a kickstarter but on pre-order so when i get it i'll review it and i'll talk about it right here on the podcast noise yep just a little little something out there for you from uh jap anime games all right, Anthony, so that's everything from our acquisition disorders. Now let's get on to the games that we want and actually did get to the table. And we'll let everybody know if those games are a buy and they should run out and pick those games up. If those games are a play and they should sit down and play those. If those games are a dodge and they should avoid them at all costs, like scrolling down that button fly Kickstarter page. Or if those games are, in fact, the dreaded burn, then you should avoid them like 2020, my friend. What do you have up for us this week? All right. Well, it's not 2020. Uh, this game is definitely Ooh, not a 2020 rating. It is Merv, <laughs> The Heart of the Silk Road. Um, this was actually my acquisition disorder last week. So funny, right? Because um, <laughs> on the show, we were, of course, talking about where it's available. And I happened to be poking around. I found a copy. I ordered it. I played it. So um, <laughs> this is the new game from Fabio Lopiano. Um, he designed Kalamala, which you talked about as one of your favorite games. He designed Ragusa, one of my favorites from last year. And now he's designed Merv which I would argue is probably his biggest game so far. Like, it seems long. It seems not long, long, but like long compared to those two. Those are tight games. This is a little bit more more stuff. In this game, uh, there are three years, and each year you get one turn. So there's only 12 turns in the game. So you think, oh, that's pretty quick and it's pretty tight. But on each turn, you can do a whole bunch of stuff, and it all chains together in various ways. So the core mechanism of the game is you have this uh, five-by-five grid in the middle of the board. And it has tiles on all 25 of those spaces. The center one is the camel market, so you can be trading stuff there. But the rest of them are building sites. And on your turn, you're going to take your meeple and you're going to place it in one of the five action slots of the row or column that you're in. So there's four of them, one for each turn within each year of the game. And in that row or column, I did that backwards, row or column, (laughs) uh, you are going to choose one of the building sites and activate it. If you don't have a building on there yet, you place your building. But you can also activate other people's buildings. So it doesn't have to be your own stuff. And this is kind of where it gets a little brain meldy because you always want to look at the most advantageous chain of actions you can take because when you activate a building, you activate all the buildings of that color in that rower column. So if the blue player and your red has four of that column, you only have one, of course, you're going to activate a blue one. Now, they could get bonuses out of that because you're using their buildings. So keep that in mind. But at the same time, you want the most possible actions. So most of these actions, they just give you resource cubes. There are various different resource cubes that come in the game. I don't remember what they are. I don't even know if the rulebook tells you what they are. They're just different colored resource cubes. So <laughs> Euro 101. These cubes are what you use to take every other action in the game, though. So the first like turn or two of the game, you're only going to get one or two cubes. You don't really get to do very much. So 
it really does ramp up a lot in the middle chunk of the game because the first full year, you're not really doing much, which feels nice. The actions you can take, there are, I believe, seven or eight of them. Um, you can deploy a soldier, which lets you put a soldier onto one of your buildings to protect it because the Mongols are going to invade at the end of the second and third years. And if you have not protected your buildings, the buildings get destroyed. You lose potential points. Not good. Um, there is the caravansary, which lets you spend a number of cubes of the same color to take cards. These are set collection cards. But every time you get a pair of the same card, you get some kind of bonus. But you're also trying to get sets of them. So like four in unique cards is worth 10 points, for example. You can go to the mosque, which is this track up the side of the board. Each stop on that, there's some kind of bonus you get. But you have to pay cubes to move between this, the different levels. The mosque seemed overpowered. I don't know overpowered. I hate that word. But it's powerful. Like you want to use the mosque as much as you can. There's a lot of ways to score points from the mosque track. The palace lets you put different courtiers into the palace, and that's how you're going to score points between rounds, but you have to pay them, so make sure you have resources to pay them. Library lets you get scrolls. Scrolls let you complete different um, contracts early in the game. And then there's the marketplace, where you can go and trade in your cubes for goods. They're common and rare goods, and those are going to be used to fulfill contracts as well. Um, you can build walls and gates. These will protect the whole row or column that they are blocking. So that's important um, if you're going to try to block those Mongols from hitting your stuff. You also get influence for building them, and the influence track is worth points eventually. You also have to move up the influence track if you want to unlock the ability to pick up more cards and to fulfill higher level contracts. So it, the whole game kind of, I don't want to say Lacerda vibes, but a little bit because... <laughs> It's not that heavy at all. It's, it's much shorter. It's much lighter. But everything is connected to everything else. You can't just go on a route and ignore stuff. You can't be like, I'm Mosque all the way this time. You have to move up the influence track, which means you have to build walls. You have to fulfill some contracts. You have to get some cards. Um, you can definitely lean in a direction, but it's all connected. right? So that's important. Um, there is a solo mode to this, which is, again, feels like a Lacerda solo mode. There's a Corrupt Magistrate, which is a non-player character that basically breaks all the rules and has its own deck. It's pretty good. I, it, it's, I wouldn't say it's quite on par with some of those, but it's very close in terms of like mm -hmm. playing against the game. Um, there's special two-player rules that are a little bit different as well. But overall, I was very impressed. It's very pretty to look at. It's an Eono tool game in terms of design, in terms of the actual mechanics of the game. It's very tight. Everything fits together nicely. Every action you take makes sense in the context of the other actions. I need to play it with more people, especially gamers, because that mosque track um, and just my tests, especially in the solo mode, it seems like seems pretty good. Like, why would I not do that? Um, the, the player who did that got way more points. So I, I am interested to see how that plays out. But part of that, too, is like there are areas in which other people could go in there, block that, do other things. And that obviously doesn't happen at lower player counts or playing by yourself. Um, so yeah, I, I really, really enjoyed it. I need more plays to say like, it's a buy, but tentatively, I'm happy I've got it. So it, it's very solid. Nice. Um, so once, once it's available fully, I, I do recommend checking it out. Yeah, I've looked everywhere for this. And like you said, it's been out of print everywhere and I've tried to pre-order it. But again, it turns out that you can't pre-order something that's out of stock. But again, that seems very odd because it's a pre-order. So uh, I don't, I'm not, I'm not going to, not going to crack that code tonight, but yeah, this seemed to be something interesting. As you mentioned, it did have that Lacerda vibe. 
right? Like this game was definitely looking towards that area. And obviously the Eon O'Toole artwork helps a great deal with that. Yeah, I, I think generally with these games, there's going to be that one mechanic in most Euro games where you're going to score the vast majority of your points for whatever particular reason it might be. And if you don't do that, or if you don't slow other people down, you're going to lose the game. So again, like you said, hopefully you have some more gamer kind of people at the table that like, Hey, you know, that thing up there scores all the points. It scores all the points. <laughs> like yeah. you, you gotta, you gotta slow people down as, as far as that's concerned. Yeah. I, I think it might be one of those things that, the game's probably very even across the board, but if one person gets that to themselves, yep. it's game over. <laughs> so it's it just, as long as everybody else is doing it, it's going to be even and you want to do a little bit of everything. But if one person can get to the top of the mosque track in the second year and then get all the mosque bonus points at the end of the round, they're going to win by 80 or whatever happened last yeah. time. I think in the future, Anthony, we could do a list where it's literally games if you don't, or games if you let that person do that one thing, they're going to win the whole game. So, you know, like you got your Seven Wonders with the science, you got your Yokohama with their two tracks. Like if you let the per you let that one person do that whole thing by themselves, you're going to have a bad day. So, yeah. So it seems like Merv's like that. So it's a good point to, to let everybody know that. Yep. All right. Well, I got a Kickstarter back and it was pretty funny because I was like, I back this? When did I back this? How did I back this? Why did I back this? And honestly, that's most of the reasons why I even do this podcast so that I can obviously in my old age look back and realize I actually backed these things and I was excited by it. I'm like, oh, past Chris, he backed this thing. Oh, he was really excited about it. I don't remember who that person is anymore, but all right. Well, I backed and recently received Tungaro. Now, obviously, again, as I recollect my thoughts to try to figure out why I did that. Well, let me tell you right off the bat. Lewis and Stefan Malls. If you don't know the names, you probably know them from Rococo. So right off the bat, damn, Rococo, back in it. So that was definitely one of the reasons why I backed here. And obviously there's some really beautiful artwork to this game. And it's done by Alley Cat Games who do a really nice job with their um, dice games in general. So basically Tungaru is all about these Pacific Islanders and about these different leaders and nomads that are inhabiting the island. So you're taking out your tribe, and as you expand your influence, and as you expand to other islands, you are going to pick up these nomads that are going to be part of your tribe and add to your tableau special abilities. So you'll get like a one-time boost. You'll get a special ability throughout the game based on how your dice are rolled. And you'll get a final scoring part to that Nomad that's going to allow you score points at the end of the game. You've seen that in a lot of games before. And this game has a lot of close mechanical feel like Concordia. Because you know how in Concordia, as you pick up cards, there's a bonus at the bottom of the card or based on the type of the card? Same thing's true here. Not only in those Nomads that add to your tableau that's going to score you and just you those points... But also because when you play this game, and again, this game is about utilizing dice. It's not like a dice rolling game like you would think. Like, oh, I roll my dice to move a thing. That's not at all what this is. Basically, again, the dice are used as your different people that are sailing to different islands. And you put them on these boats. 
I picked up the super deluxe version of this because I did like the upgraded pieces. Although the boats are plastic where mostly everything else is wood except for the dice. So that was kind of surprising. But nonetheless, you are building up your own tableau, this culture board that's going to lay out all the special abilities in the game. And you have cultural monuments that you're going to be able to put out on these different islands in order to generate points throughout the game. So basically, on your turn, it's pretty simple. You're going to roll the dice. Everyone's going to match the dice because that's the roll for the round. And then you're going to choose a leader card. So this is like Concordia or this is like Carson City where everyone has an opportunity for the same leader. So you're going to get a hand of cards with all of your leaders. You're going to pick one leader. Everyone's going to pick a leader face down, flip up at the same time, activate. And again, based on the number on the card, certain based on the number, a leader's going to activate. So one, two, three, four and such. Now, here's the fun thing about the game. At the end of the round, once your leader card's done, you're going to pass that to the next player. So you use that one ability, it's now gone, but the next player has it to use throughout the game. They'll use it, and it'll get passed around. So eventually, your hand will be radically different, right? Because you all start with the same cards, but as you play those cards, activate. Your culture board itself has all the activation moves you that you need. You're going to move boats. And again, it's like Concordia, where if you're between two islands, you could do the different actions. You'll be able to harvest resources. You'll be able to settle those little tiny islands. You'll be able to trade with those people, the islands, travel across the islands, and even build on the islands. So you'll be able to build those monuments. So again, you're doing those on the islands. You're picking up all different resources, fish and shells and such. You're picking up the nomads, which are going to give you special abilities throughout the game. You're passing the leaders throughout the game. And then when the game finally comes to an end, you are going to take a look at what your special bonuses are. So maybe you are all about collecting resources. Maybe you're all about settling islands. It just gives you a way to do a lot of different things throughout the game. The game has two sides of the board, so you could play at a two to three, you could play to a four to five. I highly recommend playing to four to five. The two to three isn't as good. I've tried it, and it just kind of just kind of sits there. It does kind of contract to make it a little more interesting, but you really do want to have those cards being passed around. I just didn't feel at the two to three player count the game was as dynamic because you do want to have a different hand of leaders to be able to play and you just don't get as much with the two to three players it's passing around you know what basically what you're going to get not as dynamic the four to five super cool it's actually a lot better there's a lot of different actions to take there's a lot more islands on the board to travel to there's a lot more ways to block people out take resources and even when other people settle there you can go there and you could also take those actions and then there's a trade-off as far as that's concerned so tungaro at the two to three player, maybe a play, but at the four to five player, I'm going to give it a buy. I'm going to give it a light buy. I think it's a, a solid game. It's colorful. It's fun. It has a lot of interesting decisions. It's a very simple game to play because all the actions are on the board and you're picking your leader for that round, so to speak. But again, interesting decisions is what makes this game up and a great production. Awesome. Yeah. Yep. I remember when you backed this, it was on your acquisition disorder when we were talking about it. <laughs> and I remember specifically being like, why are you backing this? And then I saw the designers. I was like, oh, okay, okay, okay. <laughs> now, I will say I recently backed and actually got it recently, This the super deluxe edition of Rococo. 
and I have a problem with the insert. That's all I'm going to say right now. It's a really bad insert. I'm really upset about it because I spent a lot of money on a game that the pieces don't fit properly. You are not the only one, my friend. I've seen many complaints about that insert. <laughs> so upset. You buy all this extra stuff, and it's like, how do you store it? Well, you just throw it in. You shove it in. You push it in. It doesn't fit in. And no, 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 no. That's no. so crazy <laughs> to me because they've done like five of these Lacertas of the same size with the same type of insert, and they all work fine. Like, <laughs> they did two things. One, they made like generic kind of spots for some items. And then they made very specific spots for either items. And then they built it so if you bought the base game, if everything fit. But no one's buying a super deluxe version and not spending the other 20 or $30 for everything you could ever get. Right. So it just doesn't fit. And they're like, well, you could throw out the insert. But I bought a super deluxe game. Why would I throw out the insert? Like that's right. that's the opposite of a super deluxe game. Yeah, no, <sighs> you're crazy. No, uh, Coco. So yeah, Tungaro's great. Like I said, play at the higher player count, and you enjoy it a lot more. All right, Anthony. So talking about sus and talking about obviously being tricked and betrayed. <laughs> huh? Eagle Griffin. <laughs> Let's talk about our feature review. So for our feature review this week, we are doing one of our favorite features. If you like, blah, dot, 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 try these other games. So this week we are talking about a video game because Anthony and I are happen to be big video game players who went super cardboard after the fact. But hey, we got to be honest. Among Us is one of the biggest cultural hits in video games that we've seen in a very long time. I'm trying to remember if there's anything bigger in recent times. The only thing I think of is Minecraft. I don't know. Is there anything as big as that right now? Fortnite, maybe? Fortnite? Maybe. I mean, yes. Definitely Fortnite. <laughs> but yeah, not for us, personally. No. <laughs> well, look. You know, if the Emperor's dead voice comes over the screen in a video game, I, I guess. I guess it's big. All right. I'll give yeah, that yeah. to you. Although the movie wasn't very good. So maybe I won't give it to you. Maybe I'll take it back. <laughs> All right, but we're talking about Among Us, and obviously we're talking about a game that is a social deduction game, because if you haven't played Among Us, you are this like little cute dude, and you're all about completing these tasks to save the space station, this, or these different kind of environments, because there's multiple environments in the game that you can play as, but one or multiple players amongst your team is an imposter. Well, what does that mean? Well, the imposter wants you to fail. And they want you to fail so much that they're willing to kill you and the other players in the game. Not to worry, though, because everyone's on the lookout for the imposter who isn't an imposter. So as the game goes on, you can report when a murder happens or you can report to vote out one of the players. Discuss who you think you should vote out. Vote. And that player gets hauled out the airlock. It may be imposter. It may be a regular player. You'll find out right there and then and continue the game. So as the game goes on, you're completing tasks, a pretty simple you know, variety of tasks, but you are still completing tasks. And one of the ways that you know that the imposter is in fact the imposter is because they can't complete tasks. So they're just walking around, they're venting throughout the whole game, they're messing, they're shutting things down, but they're not doing anything constructive. And typically that's how you're able to find out who is super sus in the game and who needs to be kicked out unless you're in the imposter and then you just want to blow the whole world up. And that's fun too. So 
Anthony, we have some great cardboard versions of this that I do believe that in fact are better than Among Us. I know, I know there's a lot of people out there who don't believe so, but I like to believe so. So, Anthony, what do you have for your list here? I love how we're the we're the kind of guys who are going to go on Twitch and tell everybody that Among Us is no good. Like, no, 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 no. You don't want to play that thing that's the number one game on this platform that we're on. Play these games <laughs> that you've never heard of. They're fun. Some of them are out of print. It's great. Enjoy. <laughs> oh, man. All right. So I'll kick it off. Um, we're going to alternate on these. And my first on the list is Deception, Deception Murder in Hong Kong. So this one's more pure hidden role deduction type of traitor game, right? Um, there's been a murder, and you're trying to figure out who did it. But you're all investigators within which one of them is the murderer. And sometimes they have an accomplice. So it plays 4 to 12 at similar player counts to Among Us. And you can have one or two of the traitors similar to Among Us. Um, in this one, however, you have the forensic scientist who actually knows the solution. But all I can do is give you clues. Right. Mm -hmm. It's almost a concept in that they have mm -hmm. to give you these clues with the different cards and you have to try to figure out what's going on. While at the same time, the murderer and the accomplice are trying to mess with everybody and lead people down the wrong path. So there are multiple different roles in the game. Obviously, you have the forensic scientist, the murderer, the investigators, the accomplice. There's a witness role as well. They have a little bit more information and the game is super quick. It's probably one of the quicker playing of these games. I like this one a lot more than some of the other hidden trader games because there is more depth to it and you are solving a specific puzzle instead of just yelling at each other there's expansion content too i think that adds a little bit more so deception murder in hong kong um, i believe it's actually in stock places now it's been in and out for a while but yeah i definitely recommend this if you like that element of among us Yeah, I played this. It's it's fine. Like you said, there's a lot of different pieces that are being sent out to you. But I got a better one here for you, and, and hopefully something that adds a lot of more gameplay to the actual gameplay out there. So, Anthony, this game I think is going to really get a lot of people to the table because, again, a lot of fun. A lot of awesome fun. And, you know, it still fits with the theme very nicely. I'm talking about Battlestar Galactica, right? So this is one of the classic board games that are out there that is now a grail game because it's gone out of print, but there's still a lot of copies that are out there because this was a fantasy flight game that was out there. Now, if you don't know anything about Battlestar Galactica, the new version of it, I'm not going to spoil anything, but basically it's been around for a while. And I'm going to tell you the most bare points of it, which basically is that the Battlestar Galactica and its fleet of ships are trying to find Earth. And there are these Cylons, these robots that look like people, and they're trying to sabotage the ship and take everyone down with them. So let's say you played a four-player game. One of those players is a Cylon. And just like the imposters in Among Us, they are doing all the kind of bad things. But just like Among Us, they have to do tasks. So throughout the game, the game asks you to do all of these different tasks in order to battle, you know, different Cylon Raiders or fix the ship in certain ways, right? Just like Among Us. And you hand in these cards and these cards will tell you what you're adding into the pile in order to become successful. So if you're a Cylon, you're going to lowball it. If you're everybody else, you're going to try to meet the, the conditions. As the game goes on, you'll take a look at the task. You'll see that there's a Cylon amongst you. And then you try to figure out who it is. So a lot of different tasks, a lot of ways to deduce who might it be. 
and obviously a lot of special powers because each of these characters have some special abilities that they can put into play and, you know, help you figure out who it is and hopefully get you home. And again, even if the Cylon gets picked up, the Cylon can jump off ship because that's part of the show and do some bad things from a distance. So Battlestar Galactica, the board game, fantastic game, not only for its social deduction elements and its thematic gameplay, but also because you're actually playing a board game. You're doing all the tasks that you would do in Amongst Us, but with a really cool IP. Yeah, this is the this is the one I would say that if you're going to say it's better than Among Us, this yes. is probably it. This is a really That's good right. game. It has similar ideas. It's long and in-depth and all these expansion content. The main problem being is it's impossible to find for less than $200. And <laughs> it's just, you can't find a copy. Um, I will say they're rebooting the show, right? So maybe they'll bring this back. They can get the license back. I hope. Because I, I always wanted a copy of this and I never got it when I could. Yeah, again, as you mentioned, the expansions add a lot to the game, including miniatures to the game that really adds a lot more to it. And again, if you ever play this game, don't play with Anthony because he doesn't do his one power that he needs to do to take out the Cylon. (sighs) One job. You had one job. You took the character I wanted. She had one job. She was great at it. Kaylee, 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 Kaylee. She does like that one thing to knock out the Cylon. And I said, Anthony, Vinny's the Cylon. Look at the thing he's doing. And then you were all like, I don't know if I want to vote out Vinny. And you were super sus and you cost us the game, man. Just saying. Uh, I, I vote out maybe, Anthony. Maybe I you. vote out Anthony. No, 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 man. <laughs> I'm calling a vote. Calling a vote. I, I vote wrong, but you didn't make a good argument because it didn't work. So I'm just saying. All right. So everyone who's listening on your podcast player right now or if you're on Twitch, uh, I'm voting Anthony out. Jump in. Uh, yell at your podcast player to vote Anthony out because he didn't do the thing he needed to do. Keep in mind, if you vote Anthony out, the show stops. So <laughs> You don't know that. <laughs> On my computer. <laughs> All right, oh, no. Anthony, what do you have for your next pick? All right. Um, I This is one that actually uh, just came out. I actually came out like over a year ago, but I finally got a chance to play it right before the pandemic. So we didn't actually finish our game of The King's Dilemma. Uh, this is a, it was actually a Kenner Spiel nominee, um, this last year. And it's, it takes the whole hidden traitor voting social deduction element and it turns it into a legacy game. So it's very, very story focused. So not like among us at all in that sense, there's no story in that game, but in this one, there's a ton of it. But the cool thing about this is if you take that voting component, like, so when somebody calls an emergency meeting or finds a dead body in among us, the game pauses. You all get like a minute and a half to have a conversation, decide who you're going to vote for, and then make your decisions. This game has that almost the entire game. So you draw a card, someone reads it, you all decide what you want to do. You argue with each other to significant effect, hopefully, and then you vote with the influence and power and money that you have, hopefully to get it to do what you want it to do. And you might be lying. You might have ulterior motives. Things might come up down the line. You might have special character abilities that nobody knows about. And the longer you play the game, the more games of it you go into, the more of that comes into play. So The King's Dilemma is it's one of those rare social deduction games where I was 100% in, just enamored by the story, totally involved, had a lot of fun with it. Super annoyed we didn't get to finish. I think we got six games in. Uh, I think there's, I think you played 15. So we didn't quite get to halfway. Um, but even just those six games got this into my top 100 last year. And I really do look forward to playing through it in full. Um, when I get another chance. So 
King's Dilemma, if you want something with a little bit more meat on the bones in terms of story. Yeah, I haven't played this. I haven't even seen this at the table, so uh, maybe one day in the future we'll get a chance to get this at the table. It's Legacy, so you're only going to see it if somebody, if a group's sitting down to play it. So. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. All right, that's cool. Yeah. All right, so next up for me is one of our listeners' favorite games of all time. Obviously, good reason for it. It is Dead of Winter, the board game, right? So there's a couple of different versions of this that have come out since the original. There's been an expansion. There's been a new version of this. And basically, Dead of Winter and its crossroad mechanic is all about two things. First thing is zombies. Now, I am not a fan of zombies, so I'm like, eh, not so much. That being said, this is an awesome game because the the zombies are really just the background players here. What really is in play here is trying to deduce which of the players is just out for themselves completely. Now, again, on top of which, what's really interesting about the game is you're all kind of out for yourselves because in order to win the game completely, right? It's a co-op game, but in order for you also to win, you have to meet your winning condition. But your winning condition is pretty generic. Maybe you have to collect food. Maybe you have to collect books, medicine, or guns, or something like that, that the group needs. So you have to kind of play out, like, how much can I give away, but how much can I keep? Because the group might win, but I might lose. The super trader in this game, the one who really is sus is all about just trying to like take down the whole camp, not necessarily working with the zombies, but they're done with humanity and they're doing all the kinds of bad things. As the game goes on, there's a really cool mechanic that actually tells the story about the game. So as you go to these different locations to complete tasks, as you keep the zombies back, remember this is all gameplay elements that actually has more to do with actually playing the game than just trying to figure out who is the traitor here you're getting more cards that are telling you elements about maybe your story or someone else's story. You're making interesting decisions about what you do and who you do it with. And then you're actually finding new survivors. So you don't only have just one character, but you have multiple characters that have different strengths, weaknesses, and special abilities. Dead of Winter, again, is often maligned as just another zombie game. But the fact that you build up a tableau of survivors with special abilities, the fact that you have a winning condition a group winning condition, and then there's a traitor amongst you all is really, really interesting. So Dead of Winter, great game. And again, I'm going to say it, it's a little bit better than Among Us. I'm just saying. So there. <laughs> all right. So I'm going to hop to my next one because uh, I think it it kind of mashes up Among Us and Dead of Winter. So oh, okay. uh, it's called Menace Among Us. So oh. there you go. This is from Smirk and Dagger Games. So you already know what kind of game you're going to get. And yeah. it came out in 2019. Okay. Around the same time, I think Among Us might even be a little bit older. So I don't really know what the yeah. chronology here is. This this game might have borrowed a little bit. But the idea in this game is that you are crew members on a spaceship mm-hmm. that has basically broken down and you have to fix it before you run out of air. But, <laughs> I've heard this before. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> some of you are traitors and they're trying to either kill you guys off or make sure you do not fix the ship before you run out of air so almost the same as among us you're either sabotaging until it breaks or you're killing everybody until there's only you know the 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 thing left right 
So it plays from four to eight players. It does have a little bit more mechanics in it, though, than a game like Among Us. So you start the game with your own deck of cards, and then you're going to choose a character based on your personal goals. So there's a team goal and an individual goal. And these are going to vary depending on whether you're a crew member or a menace. And then you're going to choose a character that kind of reflects which how you're going to complete those goals. So you got things like doctor or engineer, right? So typical space, you know, spaceship stuff. So you end up with a deck of about 20 cards. And you're going to play those cards to take various actions. So it's a little more involved. There's a little bit more going on. It is an actual card game, not just dudes on a map kind of a thing. But the whole idea here is that you are trying to mess with people, get in their heads. Like, if you are the doctor, like, do you really help somebody if you're the menace too? Like, when do you decide to flip the switch and just go full traitor? When do you try to be sneaky? Uh, it really, really walks that line pretty well. And yeah, I mean, if you ask me of a board game that made me think of Among Us, First would be Battlestar. Second would be this one. This one may be based on Among Us, though, so I cannot tell. <laughs> it could have been in silos. I don't know, but um, it is very similar. So I do highly, highly recommend this one um, if you're looking for something along those lines. Yeah, Mass Among Us came out two years later Ooh. than Among Us. So, yeah, yeah. Mass Among Us is a little sus. That's all I'm saying. So, you yeah. know. Comes yeah. with a little ray gun. Missed. <laughs> That's awesome. All right. So I have a, again, a throwback that has gone out of print. But again, just like Battlestar Galactica, if you can pick it up, you might be able to pick it up. Shadows over Camelot. Camelot. It's a wonderful place. And it's basically just a model. But nonetheless, Shadows over Camelot was a wonderful game from Days of Wonder Games. And this was a game that was all about, you know, being one of the members of the round table. And yet, just like Camelot, there is a traitor amongst us. And as these wonderful knights, you're going off, very similar to Battlestar Galactica, Shadows Over Camelot came first. You're going off to fend off all of these invaders, the raiders, you're putting up catapults, you're trying to defend the castle. And you have these wonderful artwork and pieces and player characters, you're playing as one of the knights. And you're adding cards to different displays in order to help all the knights be successful. Or are you? Because what you could also do is, if you're one of the traders, is you can tank a lot of these different missions, so to speak, by putting bad cards, by putting low cards, by not actually achieving the mission goals. You're going to look like you achieved the mission goals, but you're not really achieving the mission goals. So again, this is Among Us. Again, you're completing these very simple tasks. It's a much shorter game than Battlestar Galactica. The production here is top-notch. It's out of print. It's a Grail game, but I definitely think that thanks to Amongst Us that this is going to come out again because, again, wonderful game, beautiful game, great production. Uh, the Merlin's expansion makes the game even better. Uh, that's Shadows of Camelot, my friend. I never had a chance to play this. I always wanted to. Oh, I got a copy of it. We can play mine. Ooh next time Yay! <laughs> all right so my last one is i i mentioned we had to mention a werewolf game so i figured i'd pick the best werewolf game one night ultimate werewolf it's not like the task-based you know stuff of, of among us or any of these other games we're talking about it's a 10 minute game right uh -huh. and if you know werewolf it's the basic core concept that among us and these other games are based on people run around do a bunch of stuff you pause you take a vote someone gets booted out and you find out whether that person was actually a good guy or a bad guy. And half the time you were all wrong and you all just yell at each other and say, well, you're so stupid for voting them up. You get the idea, right? So that's werewolf. One night werewolf is 
streamlined because you are playing it in one round. You're not running around doing all these extra things. You have the app kind of running the game in the middle. It's much quicker. And there's so many roles in the game because they have the app that helps you manage all that. So not only do you have like the, I think, what is it, 12 different roles that come in the base game, but there are the six different versions of this, like One Night Vampire and Alien and everything else, and then expansions on top of it. So I think you combine them all, it's like 80 different roles you can play as, each of them with a special ability. So at the end of the day, you got to try to figure out who the werewolf is based on what happened on everybody's special abilities, but it's it's fun. And it, I don't generally like werewolf-style games um, that are too close to werewolf, but this is fun because it's quick and you just end up yelling at each other a little bit, but then you move on, right? It's not like this big, long thing where people are voting out because of your beard, because they're a bunch of jerks. Uh, so <laughs> if you want the quick, easy, simple version of Werewolf or Among Us or any of these trader-type games, One Night Ultimate Werewolf um, is my recommendation for that. See, you say getting voted out like it's a bad thing when you play a Werewolf game. It's true. I think it's actually, actually a very good thing. I think that's a that's a very good strategy when you play Werewolf is trying to get voted out. So, yeah. Yeah. I always wonder about those like hundred person werewolf games at Gen Con. Like, oh where do you go if you're voted out first? You're like, cool. <laughs> this is gonna go for an hour and a half. I'm done now. My friend's still in the game. I guess I'll go to bed. I don't know. Yep. Yeah. I actually own this. I own this, and I own the vampire one, and I don't know if I own the alien one, but I own a bunch of different expansions. Artwork is great. Gameplay's fun. Family loves this game. Like you said, this is one of those kind of games where it's just short enough that I can tolerate it. And again, everything we've talked about is longer games than Among Us and more involved games than Among Us, but they have a lot of the elements Among Us. This is definitely a shorter, shorter version than Among Us. So if you wanted to get something to the table that was quick and simple, had a lot of great roles, this is it. But I have one more for you if you're looking to do something a little more involved, and that is Citadels. Citadels is one of my favorite games of all time. I'm just not a fan of the social deduction games, but I, I am a just tremendous fan of Citadels. Why? Well, you know how you play, you know, Among Us and you have to take out your friends and it's kind of funny, but also people are a little annoyed by that to say the least. Well, when you play Citadels, you're never targeting a person, although you do want to target people because you want to win the game. In this game, and you're seeing on the screen here, the new version of it, beautiful version of it, is you're actually pointing out roles that you're going to be attacking. So if you're the assassin, you're going to say, well, I'm going to take out the emperor, right? So you don't know who the emperor is. Somebody took a role, maybe you have some information because how the cards were drafted and passed around, but you're taking out a role. You take out that role, that person doesn't speak because they were killed off or they were, you know, a thief took all their money. And then you take your riches and you use your special abilities to build up this wonderful citadel of buildings that are going to give you special abilities and score your points throughout the game. It is quick. It is fast. It's fun. It's a great production. A recent reprint came out and it's just a wonderful, beautiful game that utilizes social deduction, gives you something to build, something to play with. And you never really feel bad about it because you never purposely attacked anyone. You just wanted to take out a role or two in the game. It's a great game. Yeah, I... I need to get a copy of the new version. I had an old one, and I think it got destroyed. Someone stepped on it. So I need oh, to get no. a new one. It's pretty. I actually own the original version. I bought that such a long time ago and got so much play out of it, and I liked it so much. And I've only done this with, like, one other game, and that was Kingsburg, 
I bought the new version of it, even though I didn't need it, just because I love the game so much. Oh, wow. <laughs> that's true. All right, Anthony. So that's everything for this week. We hope that you enjoyed our cardboard versions of Among Us. Obviously, Among Us is a fantastic game, a worldwide phenomenon. It originally came out, and it wasn't that big until some people on Twitch took it up and just made it explode, and now everyone's playing it. So we recommend checking it out. We think you'll enjoy it. But who knows? Maybe two board gamers taking up all of these cardboard versions of it. Maybe it'll help those explode out there in the industry, and a lot of people will get those to the table. All right, so that's everything for this week. Until next time, this is Chris. And this is Anthony. And we'll save you all a seat at the table. Unless you're sus, then we're going to kick you out. Just saying. Oh, happy our life. <laughs> Bye.